We're all missing travel right now, but you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More, wow, mmm, and yes! Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more out of it. And don't forget to download the Priceline app for even more savings. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the That's So Mets podcast. It is episode number 14. It is the week that Steve Cohen was kind of introduced to the world, in a sense, the baseball world, Mets fans, a lot of excitement. I I mean, really, just it could not have gone better hearing from Steve Cohen, hearing from a rejuvenated Sandy Alderson. I don't ever remember him um, being this excited or confident or whatever you want to call it or straightforward. It, it was just a really, really crazy, surreal press conference for Mets fans. I'm your host, Connor Rogers, joined as always by my co-host, Joe DeMeo. And later on in the show, you will hear from Mets outfield prospect, Jake Mangum, which uh, was a great conversation as we got to talk to Jake right after the press conference, get his thoughts being a player in the system, the all-time leader in hits from the SEC. So he has a pretty good resume himself, and it's a great conversation. But on this day, I'm going to waste no more time. Joe, we have to – let's just cut it straight. This is one of the best days in our lifetimes as Met fans, and they didn't even play baseball today. Unbelievable. When – I knew this press conference was coming, obviously, everyone did, and I didn't know what to, what exactly to expect. I knew... I was a little nervous. I was a little nervous, one. for sure. I was like, I know he's going to say good things. Like, he's not going to come on and be like, just so you guys know, we should rebuild. Like, that's the right strategy. But he also wasn't going to come on and say, I'm signing every free agent. And he made it a point to say that they won't spend like drunken sailors and... A lot of terms and things that he used were things that you and I have said on this show. Uh, So it was incredibly exciting. Like you said, one of the better days. And it's getting universal praise from everyone in the media, all Met fans. I don't think there is one person out there that's like, meh, they're all right. I mean, I guess that's cool. Everybody that roots for the Mets, covers the Mets, covers baseball, glowing reviews for you know day one having a press conference and it was it was very exciting to see steve because i feel like steve cohen has almost been a myth in a sense like i feel like we've been waiting it feels like the steve cohen thing's been going on since last winter and he doesn't speak to anybody like if you google steve cohen interviews you could find like two or three so he doesn't make public appearances and talk really and He didn't comment at all during this process other than, you know, when the deal was signed, all that stuff. Like, he commented when he had to comment. And, you know, I don't mind if he's not a public face, you know, all the time talking, but he almost felt like a myth. Like, I was like, are we sure this guy exists? And then, lo and behold, he came on Zoom this morning, so he definitely exists. And he said so many of the right things. Well, I was reading the Vanity Fair story they did on him in 2011, and I think it was only, like you said, Joe, maybe the second time he had ever allowed himself to be interviewed. And the writer, and I apologize that it slips my mind at the moment, I just know it was a Vanity Fair was the outlet, kind of called him like the Wizard of Oz, right? Like this big uh, myth about this money guy and all these crazy stories And then you pull the curtain back and you're like, okay, it's just this normal dude in his khakis and his quarter zip and he's got his glasses on and he's just, he's not really, um, you know, in any way like pretentious or arrogant or, you know, how some wealthy people can portray themselves. There's nothing like that. 
with Steve Cohen, and it was interesting reading that story from about nine years ago, and then watching the press conference today, and never in my lifetime have I watched an owner speak to the fans and felt like he was one of us, and get it, and not just go out there with a script to say the right things, but touched on everything that makes you feel great as a Mets fan, that makes you feel great as a baseball fan. And he was comfortable, which those are not easy to do, number one. And I know this, being a Jets fan, watching Adam Gase absolutely tear apart at the seams doing a press conference being introduced. They're not easy to do. And Cohen just seemed dialed in, sat there and said, I've been a fan of this team. I've gone to, I remember going to the polo grounds, you know, all of those sitting in the upper deck of Shea Stadium watching this team, being a Tom Seaver fan. And when they asked him essentially, you know, what is this opportunity for you? Is this a business venture? And he said, this is a chance for me to make a million people happy. That is, that is something that sticks with you as a fan that has stayed up and watched this team play 16 innings and lose, that you've watched this team be absolutely miserable for over half a decade or not go all in after making the World Series when all they have to do is spend some money to fill some holes and make another run or you hear story after story about the nonsense that Jeff Wilpon has done for years after years who had no business running a baseball team. You sat there today as a fan and you said, this guy gets it. And he's here for us, and he understands us, and he also understands how to run an organization and the things he can't do. He can put the people in those places to fill the void for him. And I think for me sitting there as a Mets fan, it is the best I have felt since Noah Syndergaard threw up and in in the World Series against the Royals or David Wright's World Series home run. And for me... I know it wasn't a win on the on the diamond. I know it wasn't anything to do with actual game being played at this very, very moment. It felt like a top five day for me in all of my Mets fanhood, and I felt like a lot of the Mets fans feel the same way. Yeah, 100% feel the same way, and I think a ton of people listening to this do. But I'll say this, this... I've never felt like I related to someone that had $14 billion before, but now I do. So that that's a, a nice change of pace. But no, Steve crushed it today, especially for a guy that tends to not do public things, to go in front of the New York baseball media, which we know is very difficult. And he aced it, absolutely aced it. He Everything he said was things that you and I were talking on this podcast like we really hope Steve Cohen believes this and wants to do things this way and he was exactly that's what it was he goes look I'm gonna provide the resources I've basically played a day of little league in my life so I'm gonna hire people that are experts here I'm not a micromanager he goes I have high expectations you know if you don't deliver that's on you but I'm gonna give you rope to do what you want to do you know, he's going to hire the right people to do these jobs. He believes in building from the ground up, which for me especially is music to my ears because that is, I've harped on it as much as I could. That's the way to build. Just buying every great free agent is not how you're going to win. You certainly want to do that. And he made it very clear that they have the resources to do so. But you want to build a core, a young core that's, I mean, let's be honest, that's who fans root for the most. Fans love Pete Alonzo. Fans love Dominic Smith, Jeff McNeil, Michael Conforto. They love those guys. Jacob DeGrom, they love all those guys. And sure, if they go and sign George Springer or JT Rail Muto, the fans will probably love those guys too. But I always feel there's a different connection when it comes to a guy that was drafted, developed, came through the system, all he knows is being a Met. Like, I feel like fans connect a little differently to those kind of guys, or at least I do. Um, so it's it's very exciting. And he even mentioned, you know, the way that there's financial losses and that he thinks that's a spot where they can capitalize. And that's another thing. It's like, look, 
this is the time where you where you jump a little bit. And no, he he rung home everything. Being a fan, and I, I, I know one of the reporters kind of, it almost felt like a test where he's like, can you name like your top three favorite moments and uh, top couple players or whatever? It's just like, are you really are you really giving Steve Cohen a test right now? <laughs> um, but no, he absolutely nailed it. I don't think there's anything more I could have asked him to say. And you know, like like he said, no mediocrity. Steve Cohen hasn't been mediocre at anything in his life. I don't I don't think. <laughs> um, or if he has, he stopped doing it. He only does things that to be great. So mediocrity will not stand for him. Making the playoffs to him isn't winning. Winning World Series championships is what's winning to him. And I mean, good for you know Sandy in the front office. He gave you a three to five year timeline. You better you better get going. I mean, absolutely right. You look at it and you sit there and go, "This guy is not here." to just slowly ramp up. But they're doing things the right way. And he emphasized, you know, he's like, I'm not going to sit here and tell you a budget. He goes, I've had conversations already with Sandy. He goes, but I believe the New York Mets should spend like a big market team. The Mets are not in top 10 of payroll right now. They're not. And guess what? They will be by the end of all of this. But this is the New York Mets. This is not the Pittsburgh Pirates. This is not the Baltimore Orioles. And listen, do I want the Mets to lead the league in payroll every year? Absolutely not. Uh, And if they win the World Series every year and also lead the league in payroll, I don't care then. But I'm not sitting here and trying to win the trophy of who has the highest payroll. But they are the New York, the New York Mets. They should be in the top 10 of payroll. And finally, they have a guy that is walking in the door. And you said it to me off the air, Joe. He is recognizing we have needs at catcher. We have needs at starting pitching. Guess what? There's some good ones out there on the market. JT Real Muto, James McCann, Trevor Bauer, maybe Marcus Stroman. We'll see. Charlie Morton, who we abs- both of us absolutely want to see the Mets make a run at. There are a lot of avenues for this team to improve in analytics, in, you know, they've done a good job drafting, but why not continue to get better at it? And he even said, we need to keep our players healthy. So, I mean, talk about somebody that just has the awareness that it's not about going out there and handing JT Real Muto $180 million and clapping your hands together and going, that's it, we're on to the World Series. They are trying to put a structure in place to be good for a very long time for the next 10 years they want to compete and I just think it's you know it's great to see it's great to hear I came away from that press conference and said there was no lingering questions for me I know this team is going to spend in free agency that a New York club uh, should adequately meet those pricing marks, right? You you want the Mets to be in the hunt for one of the big fish. You want the Mets to fill out their holes uh, with the intermediate level free agents. You want the Mets to have the option and say, hey, Cleveland is feels the need to unload Francisco Lindor right now, and the price isn't going to cost us a Dom Smith or a Matt Allen. It'll cost us a couple of our, you know, mid-level prospects and maybe a JD Davis. Okay, and he wants Lindor wants two hundred fifty million over eight years or whatever it is. Sure, we can do that. Those are the things. Those are the doors that are now open for the New York Mets. And you know, it's funny, Joe. You and I have been doing this show, you know, dating back to summer, where so much of our thought process was: it's an exciting time to be a Mets fan with Steve Cohen purchasing the team or in the hunt to purchase the team. And there are people, and even you have done it, and I totally understand and say, hey, pump the brakes. But I think there is just so much to be excited about. And now they are going to hit the ground running. They are going to hire somebody to be the president of baseball operations to make the baseball decisions. And they are going to be working with a lot of different agents. And those signings are not going to happen quickly, but they are going to happen. And I think it's, listen, it's just, it's never been a more exciting time, I think, in the offseason to be a New York Mets fan. For sure. And, what, and one thing that I want to jump to really quick, I, I think, 
we we know how awesome Steve Cohen is, but how different did Sandy Alderson look today? He looked so relaxed. He looked just so comfortable talking. He's saying all the things that you know we want to hear. Where things are going to be different this time around. He's not going to slam the Wilpons and the previous ownership group, but he mentioned you know how resources will be different, how they're going to capitalize on different markets, and you know he was on WFAN with uh, Craig Carton and Evan Roberts and spoke glowingly of Trevor Bauer and said. Trevor Bauer is the type of personality that I think would fit New York great. And, yeah, I don't know if I fully agree, but um, I like that he's talking about Trevor Bauer in a sense of that's a guy that we think fits here. Whether he does or not, you know, that's to be determined. But Sandy Alderson five years ago, when or four years ago, whatever, when if he's asked about a major free agent, it's like, oh, yeah, we'll maybe monitor it, you know, that kind of thing. It's just an answer just to brush it off. But now is the time where it's like, it's time to have those real conversations. Is it Trevor Bauer? Is it JT Rail Muto? Is it George Springer? Is it a couple of them? Is it one of them and a Francisco Lindor or a Nolan Arenado? The, the opportunities are there. They're there for the taking. And a couple other things Sandy said. One, I found very interesting on the, during the press conference, he said... He referenced Brad Hand by name, saying how Brad Hand was waived and if the timing were different, aka if the sale was actually done, you know, maybe they would have picked him up for a year and $10 million. So by my measure, I go, well, if you would have probably picked him up for a year and $10 million, then you better sign him for one year and less than $10 million this offseason. I consider that a commitment to signing Brad Hand. So get on that. Um, and then a, a couple other things that he said on WFN that I found very interesting uh, was he was asked to break down some of the strengths and weaknesses of the organization, just not players, not, you know, pitching versus center field versus catcher, just what are some strengths? And he said, one of the biggest strengths is the amateur scouting department, which I wholeheartedly agree. The proof is in the pudding on the field, and certainly we're both very high on the last couple years of drafting. And what he pointed out was what's really big is that there's continuity there at the top of the chain with Mark Tremuda and Tommy Tanis. Those guys ran the draft for Sandy. They ran the draft for Brody. And they're going to run the draft for Sandy slash new president of baseball operations now. So there's continuity there. They know what they're doing. They have a great amateur scouting department. And Sandy even complimented Brody's strategy the last couple of years of really honing in on the first round talents. And he said he thought it was innovative and seemed like something that he was interested in the Mets continuing to do. And I hope so, because I, I think that's the way to do it as well. And then as far as weaknesses, he pointed out analytics, which we've talked about ad nauseum. There isn't an analytics department here right now. You know, there's some people that work, some interns, and they hired a guy or two. But the really good teams have like 25 people in the analytics department. So they need to make that much more robust. And what Sandy said that stuck true to me too is analytics are important. You and I both agree. If you're listening to this, you probably agree that analytics matter. But what Sandy made sure to say is it's got to be a mix. And I fully agree. There has to be a mix between the analytics and the, let's call them old school baseball people, for lack of a better term. And they need they need to work together, one. And two, they have to have the adaptability to listen to each other. Because it's very often, and I see it on Twitter all the time, there are analytics people and there are not analytics people. And there is no convincing either side of the other. You need both. That's the only way you'll have success. So they need to build up this analytics department because it's not there. Like you said, build up the scouting department. We can make the scouting department better. It's an excellent scouting department, but there's always room to grow. Uh, analy- you know, Certainly, you have to go into technology. You have to build up the top of your front office, president of baseball operations. You know, I'm going to dive into that. Truly, guys like Billy Owens, I hear that name a lot. Guys like Bobby Heck, to me, 
I think that's too big of a role for those guys. I don't think those are – I wouldn't feel ecstatic if, the, if that was the head of our baseball operations, either of those names. They need to go big. Try. What's, what's The worst that happens is you go to these teams and they say no. I'm calling Tampa Bay and asking if I could talk to Eric Neander. I'm calling Cleveland. I'm asking if I could talk to Chris Antonetti or Chernoff. I'm calling Milwaukee. I'm asking if I could talk to David Stearns. You know, the list is even longer than that, but those are a couple names just to throw off the top. They should be hunting for the biggest and best name that they can get to run this baseball operations. A guy like Billy Owens, I think, would be good. And maybe he's the GM underneath the president of baseball operations because that's a role increase for him anyway. And then you have kind of a good blend there. Maybe that's maybe that's the path to go. But I think we need to think bigger on president top dog in baseball operations because hiring a guy like Owens or Bobby Heck to head baseball operations, be the number one guy, to me, feels like a move the Wilpons might make. Like, Billy Owens is a good executive, so please don't take this the wrong way. Like, I'd be ecstatic if he was a part of the Mets front office, and if he was the GM, I think that would be, like, ideal. But you have... I don't want to be making moves that I look at and say... Well, the Wilpons might have done that. I want a move that goes, whoa, the Wilpons would not have done that. Yeah, something that says, hey, things are different now. That would be nice, right? Like when they hired Brody, all of us were skeptical because it's like, oh, they're hiring an agent to be the GM of the team. And there are good things that come with that, like how money is... I thought the the way they did the draft, and I know you've agreed to this, Joe, was very creative. And, and a lot of people, you've said this before, so hat tip to you. A lot of people in the organization were impressed with how Brody handled the draft creatively. But at the same time, when Brody did trades, he got taken for a ride as an agent, not a baseball guy, in a sense. And it didn't work out for the Mets. And... They need someone in there that is a big-time baseball guy at the president spot. And like you said, you're looking at that GM spot as a, you know, a Billy Owens, right? A guy that it's a promotion, it's more money, and it's a way for him to increase his title, maybe also increase the prestige that another team down the road, assuming the Mets win a lot, would hire him as president after that. That's the kind of ladders you're building here right now. But the team president of the New York Mets, with all the money they have, you're thinking big. You're thinking guys that have run very successful organizations that have not had a lot of money to work with. You're looking at Cleveland. You know, the Rays, of course, you always talk about the Rays and and the A's. You just wonder how how many guys are left there, right? I know that's something you've said to me off the air before is that, hey, you know, there's a thought that all those riches are are eventually going to dry up at some point. Everybody's been poached. There's been a lot of hires uh, specifically from the Rays organization over the years. So those are things that you have to think of here. But I'm with you all the way, Joe. Uh, You know, my closing thought is that this is going to be a big-time hire. I really think that. I think this is a job that a lot of guys around baseball um, that are are very highly regarded are going to look at and say, listen, there's a new owner. There's a lot of money. There's a really good core because this team has drafted well. And most importantly in all of this, and and I'm even shocked I'm saying this, but I've really come around to believe it, Sandy Alderson is there. And that gives you the final, okay, This is a professional organization because they have the backings of the owner financially and emotionally, but they also have somebody overseeing everything that succeeded before at the highest level with the A's in multiple World Series, getting the Mets who were, I mean, sure, they spent some money, but they were not spending like a big market team when they made it to the World Series in 2015. I... I am guilty of not giving Sandy enough credit for the job he did getting that Mets team there and how he's drafted for the last decade. And I think it's it's a really, really big key of why 
you and I and Mets fans across should expect this to be a splashy hire. And a, a word you used, I think that really rings true, is prestige. I think the Mets, and Sandy said this, that overnight the Mets now have a different level of prestige in the game. Sandy straight up said that, you know, there were executives that probably weren't interested in the Mets before that are interested in the Mets now. He's already spoken to free agents. He said on WFAN today that after today's press conference, a free agent called him personally and said how excited he was to hear, you know, what was said and that he's going to get his agent in touch with the Mets because he's interested in playing for the Mets. I think you're seeing a change of the tide here that the Mets are going from a team that nobody really wanted to work for because no one really wanted to work for Jeff. You know, Derek Falvey is another executive that I want to bring up. He's the general manager over with the Minnesota Twins. The Mets reached out to him when they hired Brody, and he was just like, no, nah, I'm not interested. Maybe Derek Falvey's interested now. You know, these executives seemingly have changed their tune. The players, I'm sure some of them, some of it is seeing money signs, but they've changed their tune. There's players that laughed at the Mets. You know, I, I know players that I was like, hey, you want to sign with the Mets when you're a free agent? And they're just like, huh, nah, <laughs> no thanks. Like the, the Mets were not a desirable destination. And all it took was a $14 billion man to come in, buy the team, speak to the media once, and overnight, the Mets are now a destination. And that's exciting. And that's what's going to lead to you landing some of these star players in free agency that you may not have before. The money is always going to help, but they can get money with other teams too. You know, these, these guys are looking for a good organization, a good organizational fit. And I think Sandy leading the overall hierarchy of the organization and bringing in hopefully a premium baseball, a president of baseball operations and just filling out just I'm hoping a super, super infrastructure uh, just across the board. And if, if it goes according to plan, you're going to be looking at a team that is not going to have an issue hiring people. It's not going to have an issue bringing in players. The Mets are heading in such an upward trajectory, and it's potentially really quick. I don't think this upward trajectory necessarily is, you know, I know Steve Cohen set the three to five year time frame to win a World Series. And only one team wins, so even, you know, maybe they do, maybe they don't. But the Mets are going to be a team that is a World Series competitor, if not in 2021, very shortly thereafter. So it's it's as exciting a day as I could uh, remember. I mean, I, I, have, I don't have much. I guess I have a lot more to say. But <laughs> I, I'll, uh, I, I'll be respectful of everyone's time because we have plenty of time to talk about all. We have plenty of time to talk about all this stuff. So it, it's going to be a fun offseason. And, you know, everyone, please subscribe, uh, rate, review. We see the five-star reviews and can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And I read every review that you put on, you know, in iTunes. And, you know, everyone just get excited for a big offseason. That's so Mets going to be on top of everything. And, you know, stay tuned. The interview with Jake Mangum is an awesome one. He's a prospect that I definitely recommend you all keep your eye on because he's he's a ball player. Man, I, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, before we toss to the interview with Jake, I almost forgot because we've had so much other Mets things to talk about. It's crazy. Um, this is definitely one of our longest shows. And it's kind of cool to see this all come together. Right, Joe? You look at it and it's like we started this pod and said, you know, you look at it and go, hey, you know, maybe this team will be bought by this $14 billion man that was a Mets fan, right? You sit there and look at it like that. And then it starts to come together, and it's like, okay, if this happens, this is going to be an exciting offseason for us to cover, um, you know, because you've always covered the draft, and I've always been a big Mets fan. And now it's at the point where it's like, wow, like this is a moment in history for the Mets that truly – um, it can't even be summed up in an hour-long show today. But the good thing is we are going to do an hour-long show 
every week. And some weeks we will have multiple shows because there are going to be splash moves. There are going to be needs for emergency podcasts. And for everybody that's, um, you know, jumped on the Nats So Mets bandwagon, stick with us because the fun's just getting started. Joe, I will give you some final closing thoughts because you have been chomping at the bit today, my friend, and understandably so. Under, I mean, it was a lot happening today in the Mets world, in the baseball world. But before we toss the Jake, I want to give you some closing thoughts on the press conference, on Sandy, on everything. I'll keep it short and sweet because I, I, I can be long-winded at times. But I guess that's good. It's a podcast I'm supposed to be. But an amazing day, a historic day in Mets history. And like Steve Cohen closed out his opening remarks with, let's go Mets. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the That's So Mets podcast. What a day. I mean, we had the press conference with Steve Cohen. We had all that fun stuff, but we have something really important to jump to here. We have a very special guest on the podcast today, and you all know me. I'm the prospect guy. I'm the MLB draft guy. So we have a guy that was recently drafted and a prospect in our system. So we'd like to welcome on the Mets' fourth-round pick in the 2019 MLB draft out of Mississippi State, Jake Mangum. Jake, how's it going? It's going great, man. Thank you for having me, Joe. Uh, excited to uh, to talk about what's going on with you guys. Sure thing. Let's 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 start quick with your upbringing. You know, tell us about a bit of your upbringing, your family, all that good stuff, and what really got you into baseball. Well, I'm I'm from a town just outside the capital of Mississippi. Um, I'm Pearl, Mississippi. Uh, my my mom's from there. Uh, my whole entire family lives in like a ten mile radius of me, man. We're all real close, and uh, you know, uh, I come from a football background. My dad, my uncle, and my grandfather all played in the NFL, and uh, I played football until ninth grade. After ninth grade, I I decided to focus on baseball because I played baseball my entire life. Fell in love with the game, and uh, it's just what I wanted to do. Kind of hey, locked Connor. on that. And uh, Connor, you guys, you guys could bond over the NFL because Connor does a lot of NFL draft stuff. Sorry to cut you off, but you guys could bond over football. <laughs> it, it, yeah, I can talk football all you want, man. Like that's like, dude, I'm watching football just about every night of the week. Like, uh, you know, Saturdays is college game day, man. Uh, Sunday, it's all, uh, you know, I watch just as much NFL football as I can, even on the weeknights, Monday night, Tuesday night, you name it. So I'll talk football anytime you want. But, yeah, uh, locked in on baseball. Uh, had a good little high school. We won three state championships in high school. It was a really cool experience, man. I made my best friends of my life in, in, that, uh, in that time. And, and the same thing in college. Uh, we didn't ever win the national championship at Mississippi State, but we came pretty close uh, twice. Uh, honestly, all four times we, we were at the cusp of it. But uh, all four years I was there at Mississippi State, uh, and now I'm with the Mets. Mets took me my senior year. And, uh, I signed in the fourth round, so it's a great opportunity. I'm thankful for it. Now I'm just working my way through the minor league systems, and, and here we are. Yeah, and you, you can't sell yourself short there. I know you're a, a Mississippi guy true and through, but you were drafted by New York teams three times. I mean, you go from the Yankees drafting you to the Mets and then the Mets again. What's it? What goes through your head, you know, being a Mississippi guy, and every time one of these New York team drafts you, you're like, you know what, I'm going to end up playing professional baseball in New York. Is that an overwhelming feeling, or is that just more of an exciting feeling? You know, it, it – it's pretty cool that it was three straight years by a New York team. Uh, I'm very thankful the Mets took me two straight years. That that kind of showed me that they actually do like me. Uh, it's not just a you know one fluke of a pick because it, it was 40 rounds, man. It was a long draft, and the first two draft uh, years in college did no, definitely didn't go the way I wanted it to. Um, it was very uh, it, it was tough, you know. But I was excited to go back to Mississippi State, and I loved it, man. It was four awesome years. Freaking loved it there. It was just a great place to play college baseball. I don't think there's a I, I, LSU could argue, Arkansas can argue, but it, it's it, it's one of the best places to play college baseball. Um, I'm, I'm my biased opinion is by far the best place to play, but you know, it depends who you ask. Do you feel that you being in New York 
is just like destiny? I don't know, man. Uh, I'm a, I'm a Christian, so I'm just I'm just kind of I'm just following what God's got. I'm just kind of taking it day by day, and we'll see how it goes. I don't know what my destiny is, but I'm going to work hard, and if it works out, it works out. And uh, I I wake up every day thinking it is going to work out. You know, stay positive, work hard, and uh, even through 2020 Corona year without having baseball, just finding a way to get better, and we'll see what happens. Just we'll we'll look back at the end of it. During your time in college, so this is actually a question from Twitter from user at underscore Chittle, I don't I guess. Uh, during your time in college, what was your favorite visiting park to play in? My favorite visiting park in, in college? Yeah. Can't beat uh, Louisiana Saturday night. I mean, at, at whenever that – and some of my best friends played LSU and I played at LSU and you know, anytime you heard that, like that fiddle come on and the speakers, Alex Box would go crazy. It's it's a big stadium. Uh, a lot of people showed up. A lot of people care about baseball there. Uh, other than that, I'd say Arkansas. We went six to zero against Arkansas at home, and zero and six against Arkansas on the road. So us in Arkansas, it was just sweeps on whoever was the home team. It was pretty crazy all four years, and we went one and one in the SEC tournament. So we finished up like neck and neck through it all. Arkansas is tough. Um, that's that's it. Those two places stand out. Uh, going to Oxford was fun. Ole Miss. Uh, that's our big rival. It's a really fun rival, man. The best Mississippi's got two, or honestly three, big time colleges that really care about baseball. Southern Miss, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. All three were great places to play. We played Southern Miss in a regional at their place. A lot of fun. Uh, played Ole Miss every every other year at Ole Miss. Went six to zero there and loved it. That was awesome. Uh, but it, it was the best. A lot of great atmospheres, man. Played in front of a lot of people, like fifteen thousand people, twelve thousand people, thirteen thousand people, all the time. LSU, Arkansas, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State would bring out large crowds. Yeah, it's it's crazy down there. I actually, so I work for Bleacher Report full time, covering college football, and did LSU Georgia um, two years ago, and I've I've never seen that many people at a sporting event ever so you have that wildly successful college career I mean an incredible SEC college career and then you know you obviously go to Brooklyn right away but then in the snap of the fingers as your pro career starting there's no minor league season what did you number one I can't even imagine what that's like for any professional athlete but what did you do personally to make sure that it's not just a lost year right and, and I know there's instructional things and I know there's a lot of different things you can you can do on the side, but what did you tell yourself? What did you personally say? Hey, this is what it's going to be like this year without having minor league games. What am I going to do to stay fresh and also try to keep developing? Well, to be honest with you, man, whenever uh, I hated missing this year, baseball game wise, because you know, like we like to compete. We like to go out there and, you know, you know, play baseball, have, have a bats, learn from the game, all that good stuff. But to be honest with you, whenever they said that we had to go home and we're on pause, it, kind of like it was one of the best things that could happen to me personally because I needed to make some changes. Um, when I got home from Brooklyn, I started making some changes with my swing, making some changes with, you know, my body is one thing, you know, trying to gain some good weight that I needed. Um, so it just gave me a lot of time to do that. And I just worked on it as much as I could. And uh, now um, I, I like where I'm at. So I just got more time to work on some stuff. And now we'll be going into spring training next year, and I've I've had a whole year of development, and um, I'm really excited about it. So the instructional league uh, obviously just recently was uh, disbanded, but can you kind of talk about for the fans what exactly is the instructional league? Like what what do you what do you do on a day to day basis? All right, well we wake up every day at about six a.m. Um, get to the field decently early. Well, and it varied six six to seven you start waking up uh, head to the field pretty early in the morning uh, which I liked I like I liked waking up and getting it out, out of the way uh, we'd have team practice a little defensive work a little early hitting in the cages and then we would head out and play a game man straight into it uh, difficult to not have BP uh, we would do optional cage work go into defensive work and go play a game. So it, it was a challenge every, every day, but I, I kind of liked the environment. It was kind of, you know, it was four weeks. We were there for four weeks, a whole month. So we kind of got in a great routine 
So whenever you get in a routine, you typically work a lot harder. And uh, we were all working hard, man. We got a lot better down there. And I really liked um, how it was ran. It, it was a good camp, and I thought a lot of guys got better. So this is a huge week, and all the fans, you know, here in New York and, and any Mets fan have just been keyed in on this ownership change. I mean, it's really one of the reasons Joe and I started this show is when these rumors started to happen. But it's a little different for a player, I would imagine. it. You know, maybe you don't focus on it as much. Maybe it doesn't impact you directly as fast. What's it been like for you as the Mets have changed ownership and constantly in the headlines? And, and, how, and I know you're just one player, but how much do you pay attention to all of that? I pay a, a lot of attention to it, you know, because it is my, at the end of the day, this is who employs me or, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, first off, I, I, after today's press conference, I, I listened to it. Awesome, man. I, I thought, you know, what more do you want out of, a, out of an owner? We were I mean, fired. He kind of got, he, <laughs> he kinda got up yeah. there and he, he just, he just let every single, Met fan know like look I'm I'm with you guys like I, I'm in the exact same position as you guys I, I'm I'm a fan of the Mets money's not an issue I, I'm I'm gonna come in here and I'm gonna do what I think's best to win championships and he's right I think championships start at player development I think you start in the minor leagues work your way up build a strong foundation and then everything after that's just kind of like the cherry on top you know um you build a strong team up then you go sign a, a a, a top five name in the MLB. That's what, that, that's the type of, you know, power Cohen can have in the MLB. You bring in that top five player in the MLB, along with your strong foundation of guys that you kind of brought up through the system and you know exactly what they have to offer, you know, and that, that's how you build a strong lineup because whenever you go out and just sign nine of the top names in MLB baseball, you bring them together. You don't know where they stack up in the lineup. Well, a lineup's a very important piece of baseball. That's why man, you see so many manager changes every year. Understanding what needs you have, like it's like this big piece of art, man, and you just kind of tear it up and you got to put it back together. And that's kind of what a lineup is built with whenever you have talent. So I think that's why you see all these changes is because people's just trying to figure out the the best way to do it. And uh, I know I really liked how Cohen says he's gonna build it up from the bottom strong foundation and then after that just bring in some top name players to help that yeah no there's no question that is the way to build an organization i've felt that for a long time i've been covering the minors covering the draft i see what the great teams do the great teams build from within and then you know when the time comes like you said all right well we don't have uh the right pitching prospect so trevor bowers out there let's go sign him you know you that's when you flex the financial muscle yeah, and there's names out there right now that Cohen can absolutely go sign for us and bring in an immediate impact with the, um, with the Major League team. So I know the Mets have a couple other Bulldogs in their system, and I know you're, you're close to both these guys. So can you t- tell us a little bit, you know, Mets fans, they want to know about, tell us about JT Ginn, the second-round pick last year, and then as well as Cole Gordon, who I think is a guy that, People don't realize he made a really quick ascent right after getting drafted, going essentially straight to full season ball. Yeah. So first off, I'll, both guys I, I think are major league arms. I think they both can make it, one thousand percent. JT's a very interesting ball player, Duke, because he throws a bowling ball of a fastball. Like when I say that that fastball is heavy, it is. It, it's like it weighs ten pounds. I saw a lot of guys get beat with it. Like in fastball counts, you know what I mean? Like, it, like if it was a fastball count, you're sitting fastball. He'd still blow it by guys. I and mean, it, it was bad misses on that fastball. You know, I'd be in center field behind him, so I got to see every pitch. And let me tell you, like, the, the thing's heavy. Like, I, I know, I know he's gonna have a lot of success with his fastball, and his off speed was there, man. Almost every single outing, he had a at least one to two off speed pitches to go along with it. And at the end of the day, that's all it is. You know, do you have a pitch that can get some swing and misses? And he has plenty of those. Uh, as far as Cole Gordon, I saw that dude get a lot of people out consecutively as for us in big situations, in eighth, seventh, ninth inning situations. Um, me and Cole played all four of my years. He played all four of those years. He was a fifth-year senior my senior year. 
he redshirted at Mississippi State, and then uh, I came in my freshman year. We both started freshman years that year. Uh, so I saw him a lot. And uh, he early on, he was, a, he was a big bat in our lineup, first baseman, left-handed power hitter. Uh, but one of our coaches saw him have a lot of potential in the mound, and it worked great. Without him, our junior and senior year, our our two Omaha trips, I, I don't think I, I'd say it's very safe to say we don't go without Cole Gordon on the mound. So he's pitched in big time situations in front of a lot of people. Same for JT. Like you know, playing at Mississippi State, we were able to get in those situations to play in front of loud, obnoxious fans with a lot of people there. You know, so it it goes. And the best fans ever. Like Mississippi State fans, they support the heck out of us, man. It's cutthroat, you know, and, and that's what it's, it's nice. Like being in New York, man, fans are cutthroat. And uh, these guys, they've been through that with Mississippi State fans. Like, uh, you know, they're honest. Like they expect a lot out of us every single year. There's a lot of pressure that goes with that. So these guys are performing, the, performing in those situations. And I think they're going to continue to do that at every level along the way. And, uh, and I, you know, and, and I, Truly believe they're both going to make it. Yeah, it's interesting you you bring up the energy of the fans, and it could be cutthroat, and it can also be great. It goes both ways, and it goes both it, ways, right? And it was weird just watching this season. You know, some guys had down years in a shortened season without fans, and I'm a believer that, especially at City Field. I mean, I've been there when the team's been in a World Series. It it brings a different energy, but as a player. And it could be different guy to guy. But for you personally, is it something that you feed off of pregame, during the game, extra innings? Or is it something that you try to tune it out and just focus on yourself? Well, I'm, baseball is an individualized sport with a team concept. So you are worried about yourself at the beginning, you know. Like you need to take, you need to do your job in order for the team to win. It's a very individualized sport. It is lonely in the box and it is lonely on the mound. And center field probably too, even at times. Center field at times, but you know you got to you know get seven guys around you other than the pitcher, eight around you if you include the pitcher that you know only on your side. But in the box and in the in the mound, man, it's lonely. But yes, I I'm a very animated player. Uh, so, yes, I, I do feed off energy very much so. And, uh, you know, that, that was one of the best parts of, of playing in those big crowds. You, you got to feed off that energy. And so it, like, it, it's just a weird it's just a weird deal right now, uh, or this year with no fans. So, yeah, it was a tough spot. You know, the players were in a tough spot this year. Extremely tough spot. But I'd also want to, like, you know, say that I, I, I wasn't in the locker room. I don't know what took place but it, it some players had down years but some players had good years uh, I, I i love the mets lineup we have a lot of good players in that lineup with a lot of great looking swings so i, I think i think the mets are in a great spot right now so i think it's going to be a good a very good future with the mets and, and jake really appreciate the time you took with us today uh, this has been a great conversation gonna hit you with a few quick hitters uh just to close out here uh Favorite teammate of all time could be college, high school, anybody. Oh, um, you love all your teammates. Yeah, man, that's, that's, <laughs> that's a tough question. Um, man, I, I tell you, the best teammate ever is, is Cole Gordon. He's one of the best teammates I've ever had. Um, Josh Lovelady, another one, is one that stands out. You know, two dudes that helped helped our program a lot and uh, in great ways. So I'd say. Two, two of the names, Josh Lovelady, Cole Gordon. Black jerseys for the Mets, yes or no? Absolutely. Throw black, blow, dude, throw black pants in there, and I'm, I don't care. In college, there we go. <laughs> college, oh, yeah, the all black years of the yeah, jerseys. Yeah, we did awesome. all black Sundays, jammed a nickel back because on Sundays it was all about energy, man. We come in there, and you can ask any of my teammates. Like I, I like, you know, jammed music get the energy going, get the blood flow going before you even get out in the field every day. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it really is. Baseball is really mental, man. You got to go out there ready to go. And uh, whatever a team needs to kind of have that extra energy some days, you know, if that's the black uniforms, because I think the black, orange, and blue pops, man. And when you think about primetime Mets, you think 
of some black jersey wins. So, uh, absolutely, man. And Pete Alonzo's for it. I know we've had a discussion about that. Yep. Uh, on, on the Jake there, Mangum man. show. Yep, absolutely. Throw the uh, black jerseys in there. Let's rod. Ideal uniform number for when you make the major leagues, if you get the pick. Are you are you 15? Is 15 your number? Yes, I would love to be 15. It, it was an unlucky number for me early on, and I got it in college out of sheer luck. And uh, that number, uh, it means a lot in Mississippi State. 15 is a big number at Mississippi State now, and uh, it's pretty cool how it worked out. Number 15, center fielder, Mets, you know, it's, it's it has its share of uh, good times with Carlos Beltran, too. Long way to go, man. I got a long yeah. way to go. <laughs> I know. I'm not comparing you to Beltran. Not, it's I'm not something done. I, you know, I, 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 uh, I, I, I plan on making it, but we'll, we'll yeah. see what happens. It's, it's, I know. Uh, it's a grind, man. It's a it's yeah. a grind. Everybody, everybody, every baseball player knows how it is. Yes, it's been sir. up to Just, the minor leagues. Yes, sir. Just having a little fun. Last one, and then we'll let you go. Give fans a scouting report of what they're getting when they watch Jake Mangum play baseball. I'm going to play every game like it's my last. Uh, I'm going to run out everything. I'm going, to, I'm going to give you everything I got. That's the only promise I can give you. It's uh, I'm going to give. I'm going to lay it all out there. That's that's all I can promise. If I hope I hit 800 every year and hit 50 home <laughs> runs with 50 stolen bases, you name it. But all I can promise you is I'm going to play every single game like it's my last. You pay money to come watch us play ba- the game of baseball. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you your money's worth. That's, that's all I can promise. Hey man, that's enough for us, and we appreciate you. Appreciate the time, and uh, we're rooting for you. We're excited to get you uh, up in Queens, man. We're ready for it. So we just want to wish you uh, the best of luck with the rest of the off season. And thanks again, Jake. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Any, anytime. Get on Team Shack with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700.